1: I'm your host, your cheap seat crony, your bench shockey with a beer. My name is Jeff Carr, bringing you the Reds every day. All right, we're rolling. So for today's Phone It In Friday, I have back on the podcast with me Wick Terrell. Wick, so glad to be talking to you, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back.
1: Absolutely. I know that here in the last couple of days, there was some craziness going on out there in Colorado. Have you dug yourself out of the snow yet?
2: Uh, I, I experienced firsthand and got to learn and file in the memory bank what a uh, bomb cyclone is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my car is currently a giant icicle, but uh, we fortunately only got about eight inches of snow and it looks like it's going to melt pretty soon. So uh, I think we're going to come out of this one all right. Nice. Bomb cyclone. that sounds way more epic than snow ever should. Yeah, it was snow, but with uh, category one hurricane force winds. So oh uh, there's gosh. a lot of, a lot of power outages all over the city. And fortunately we, uh, we weren't one of them, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy to, to look out and see the wind blowing that hard while also enough snow to drop almost a foot. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty pretty interesting <laughs> experience.
1: <laughs> well, we've got some baseball and Reds baseball to help melt the snow to talk about today. The main thing, and obviously the big news, and it just came out this uh, morning that I'd seen, and it's hilarious because the last time we had you on, we were talking rule changes, but now there's actually concrete. We're talking about them. We're going to dive into some of those. You know, obviously the first one that I saw... They're going to change, and, and this is the one thing that struck out or stuck to me the most is this year, hard and fast, July 31st trade deadline, and um, kind of wanted to lead in with all that just because I'm thinking, you know, the, the waiver deals that you always hear about in August are gone now. I, is that going to make it even more, or are teams going to be hesitant? to go for deals on the 31st?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, because it obviously forces teams to make uh, the determination whether or not they're they're all in that year or not uh, a month earlier. And it's especially, it's especially – it's one of those things where you wonder how long this has been in the pipeline and how many uh, offseason moves uh, teams could make knowing this is something that was probably coming down the road. But it's particularly interesting this year for the Reds because they've got so many players in their last year under contract that – you know, they've got to make a decision whether or not they're going to keep guys like Matt Kemp and El Puig and Tanner Rourke and Alex Wood and Sonny – or Scooter Jeanette. Uh but they got to make that decision a month earlier now than they otherwise would have uh, uh, under the previous rules. Uh, so that's one of those things where you know you wonder if they really knew that this was something that was coming down the pipeline when they made all the uh, the acquisitions to go get those when you're rental players, so to speak, uh, because it's something that's going to very much impact uh, the way they operate and the way they do business this year because – you know, uh, they're going to have to decide whether or not they're close enough to a wild card position, or leading the NL Central, or dead last uh, to make those moves to kind of change the uh, um, the direction of the of the entire team this year. And they're going to have one fewer month to be able to decide uh, if it's time to do it. And so it's a it's a very interesting strategic um, difference because I think there's a lot of teams out there that that, that are going to have to make that call way, way sooner than the otherwise would want to. And so I'm interested to see how much that impacts what they do and how soon things go on.
1: Fans of reporting on which players are being put through waivers are going to be disappointed, I think. But uh, <laughs> <it's> not, <laughs> yeah. there's always something that people are like, oh, no, he's going to get traded. But I think everybody did that. So, um, And then also looking, probably the biggest, and it doesn't start until next year, but the the biggest thing will be... Right, well, I guess it's 1A, 1B. 1A is the roster size, increase slash decrease in September. I I, I almost kind of wish, like, I mean, I, I, I like it. I almost wish they would have done it this year, but obviously it's really close to opening day for them to say, by the way, you can add one more to your plans. But with 26, and they, and they mentioned limiting how many pitchers you can have on the roster, how do you think that's going to impact teams moving forward
2: yeah this this one to me almost seems like um, a series of compromises that that don't really quite get to the bigger issue. Um, which is kind of the labor negotiations between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. Right. It almost seems like kind of some slight concessions on each side. So, you know, obviously uh, the commissioner's office is more concerned with, you know, tons of strikeouts and, and all or nothing uh, plate appearances and uh, teams using every last analytical advantage to make sure that uh, a pitcher faces a hitter who has the greatest chance of striking them out. Uh, whereas the players association is looking up and saying, Hey, we want to make sure that we've got roster spots and more people uh, making big league money and, and, and all the above. And so the elimination of effectively of loogies by, by, you know, forcing, uh, pitchers to have to face three batters. Uh, that's a hit uh, uh, you know a, a certain sect of uh, of established big leaders because that's something that's been around for decades now um, so it's almost like a, in, in an effort to prevent uh, uh, lefty specialists from coming in to face one lefty and you know, making games longer with multiple pitching changes uh, Major league baseball was willing to grant that extra roster spot so at least you can compensate somebody else uh, to be on the roster but uh, yeah it's it's weird it seems like it's one of those things that's kind of like a it's a it's a first step in a very very long. Uh, process of the two sides kind of come into a larger agreement on um, how this gigantic you know multi-billion dollar industry is gonna get carved up and who's gonna get it going forward um, but it's gonna be interesting to see how how teams adapt to that because you know obviously this year for the Reds you're, you're looking at a a manager and David Bell who's already said he wants to carry 13 pitchers which is a number that you know five six seven years ago was was relatively unheard of but it's now something a lot of teams do um, you know at least you in theory having that twenty-sixth roster spot next year means you don't have to be that stressed on the bench uh, with the number of guys that you've got. And so it's uh, it's going to be interesting for roster-making decision because it certainly will impact uh, how foreign offices go out and build uh, their active rosters. Something
1: that I kind of thought of, and it's a bigger question than it sounds, who do you think is the Reds' 26th man this year?
2: That's a good question. Yeah, uh, You know, and also you look up at – Uh, You know, their their last signing this offseason was Zach Duke, and uh, he's effectively a Lugie. So, you know, if you can't have a Zach Duke anymore, then suddenly you're looking for roster spot number 25 and number 26 for next year. Um, There's also that interesting provision in here as well about the two-way players, which I I just kind of came across a minute ago, which effectively says – oh, where is it? I was just looking at the the article a a second ago. Uh, But more or less, it it states that you can have a player – uh, uh, that I think if they accrued 20 games uh, in the field and 20 innings on the mound, they can be categorized as either one and they can still pitch. Uh, I guess this is in, in part to the position players pitching rule that they were trying to put in. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, you know, talking about how much the Reds knew these rules are coming down the pipeline. We've seen what they've attempted to do with Michael Lorenzen uh, so far this spring. You wonder if they're trying to prep him to be that kind of guy. Uh, Because in theory, that would provide that one extra roster spot, whether they want to have a pitcher or whether they want to have that extra position player. uh, He would give them that versatility because now that's a that's a caveat that has to be in play for that 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 back into the roster. So uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how all this goes on right now, because, you know, guys like Kyle Farmer, for instance, who who looks like he might be the 26th guy on this particular roster, um, could be a perfect fit for a roster that needs these kind of specific categorized players in the future.
1: You mentioned the pitching limitations. Uh, firstly, there was the three batter minimum, which effectively eliminates the I even saw a tweet from, well, Dave Schoenfield shared it. It was from Sarah Langs talking about the pitchers, the top 25, and really she only listed the top five because – You know, 25 pitchers, that's a lot of characters for a tweet. But (laughs) um, the the top five, a couple of big names in there as far as relievers with the most appearances facing two or fewer batters. We got Oliver Perez and Luis Avion. And actually Jerry Blevins, he's a big one in there too. It's going to be interesting to see how they mold their careers because Oliver Perez has been a guy that's just changed around. And without getting too far into that, you know, he's a starter now, he's a loogie. I wonder how guys like that and guys like Zach Duke will end up molding their careers to fit this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... (laughs) Reds fans don't have to go too far back in their memory bank to, to get back to the Dusty Baker era and him talking about how he builds his lineup and, you know, always wanted to alternate as much as he possibly could between lefties and righties to make sure that he couldn't uh, get loogied more or less. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see if teams kind of build their lineups differently now too knowing that, you know uh, you know, second, third time through the order later in games uh, uh, they're going to have to, you know, lefties are going to have to come in and face multiple guys in a row and not just be able to pick and choose. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if that's a kind of a, a trickle-down effect because I know, you know, stacking lefty-righty-lefty-righty is something that we watched in Cincinnati for so long <laughs> and part to defend against this one particular rule.
1: I'm interested to see the takes that come out of the people that are going to say, well, you know, there's a benefit in bringing in a loogie to face a lefty, intentionally walk the righty, and then pitch to the next lefty. Like, I think
2: that's going to throw me into a mental pretzel. But, um, yeah, that's a that, that's a good point. Like, uh, I, you know, whether or not uh, intentionally walking one of the three minimum batters they have to face is something that you're going to start seeing a lot more of because it's almost like the workaround. Um, you know, if they've got a lefty and then a righty and then a lefty, you can walk one guy, face two lefties and hope to get out of the inning that way.
1: Right. And then the other interesting part about the pitching limitations, and I kind of jokingly replied to a tweet, James Rapine had written a piece for this up in Cleveland that, um no one's talking about the negative effects on position players who pitched last season like Cliff Pennington would have had no value had he not been able to pitch for the Reds last
2: season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alex Pantino's knuckleball would, would, have, uh, would have never made uh, <laughs> waves, right? <laughs>
1: Right, yeah. I mean, we we would have been robbed of that experience. I just can't believe they're bringing this (laughs) rule change in there. But, uh, no, I I am intrigued to see how teams prepare for that. And then, obviously, you have the elimination of, not really the elimination, but definitely adding more intrigue to the September call-ups in that they only expand rosters by two players. And I'm not, I am, I mean, I'm not, um, I lost my wording there. I don't mind it. You know, I don't I don't really it's, care. It's yeah.
2: it's it's one of those things that also seems to me like it's uh, it's less of a rule change and more of just a making a first step into a larger discussion kind of thing, because from a minor league player perspective. Uh, you're losing out on service time by not having those uh, positions available on the roster to be able to get called up. Um, you know, guys like Phil Irvin in recent years would never have gotten called up in September and wouldn't have started accruing service time. Which means, what? You're you're further and further away from getting to arbitration, which means you're further and further away from actually making good big money um, as a major league baseball player. So from a minor league perspective, uh, you know, shaving off 12, and obviously most teams don't bring up a full 40 man roster, but shaving off the potential for 12. A additional spots to gain that extra month of service time, Uh, you know, that paired with the big discussions we've we've seen all winter long with guys like Nick Sincel and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez, who just got optioned, Uh, you know, teams manipulating service time to keep guys down two weeks just to gain that seventh year. It almost seems like it's another step in the direction of kind of limiting Minor leaguers ability to get up and get closer to arbitration uh, uh, earning a capability and so you wonder if that's one of those things that kind of signals that the players association and the commissioner's office have been talking about doing away with that rule because I don't think the players association would agree to shave that many roster spots off. Uh, If they didn't think that kind of a change in how service time and service time manipulation was going to get dealt with uh, at some point in the near future, because I feel like that's a really big concession to make um, uh, unless there's something else that's larger down the road.
1: Right. And I and I agree with your piece and. Guys, definitely go over to redreporter.com and check out Wick Terrell's piece on the rule changes. <laughs> I liked what you said in there that they're agreeing that they both agree that they will later figure out if they agree on the bigger issues. That this really <laughs> doesn't – yeah, you know, it doesn't really do a whole lot. I mean, would you consider this an olive branch or an olive twig?
2: Yeah, that's a good. It's a good question. It's like they're they're swapping out the tires on the car and getting in new bigger mirrors, and they're still almost on empty and didn't put gas in the tank. So it's (laughs) like I, you know, you're you're making changes that yeah, I can see that they've got value and they're kind of going in the right direction to kind of you know obviously because the game changes so rapidly, you've got to be able to react accordingly to it. Uh, There's no rule in any of this that was announced today that really seems like it's a bad rule. Um, but there's not, it didn't seem like they actually addressed the bigger issue. And that's the one thing I'm kind of waiting to see if this is the first step in that direction or just them kind of putting out a press release to get people off their backs, so to speak. Sure.
1: We're going to take a quick break in the conversation with Wick Terrell for a few ads, but when we come back, we'll have more great talk on this phone it in Friday. You're listening to the Locked on Reds podcast. We're back and rolling on the Phone It In Friday version of the Locked On Reds podcast. A reminder, you can access the Locked On Reds podcast through your smart device in your car or wherever you may have your smart device. Just activate the voice function and say, play podcast Locked On Reds. It's that easy. Now, back to the conversation. And, We kind of mentioned it, talking about the two-way players, kind of pivoting from the rule changes to the Reds. When we look at Michael Lorenzen, and he had that game this past week where he pitched and then he played in center field, I kind of come out and said that it's kind of cool, it's kind of fun for spring training, but I don't necessarily see it as something that's a bigger uh, piece of the puzzle for Michael Lorenzen. Do you see him getting significant time out in the field this year?
2: Yeah, that's it's such a you know, it's it's intriguing on multiple levels, obviously, because he is a phenomenal athlete and he did have a collegiate career that when he was actually first drafted, I actually went back and tried to find it because I'm pretty sure I wanted him to be a center fielder more than I wanted him to be a pitcher uh, back when he was taken in that first round, you know, a handful of years ago. Um, But it's 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 interesting because, you know. It, I mentioned Phil Irvin a minute ago Phil Irvin's got to be there like what do I have to do to get innings in center field right now like that's <laughs> yeah. that's actually what I do that's what you drafted me in the first round to do and now a guy who has been a decent but not especially awesome pitcher um who really hasn't been very good as a starter and that in theory would be the way he would get the most chances to get at bats uh is now getting worked in the lineup as if he's been a career minor minor leaguer like it's right. you know it, it's um It's interesting. It's intriguing. He's obviously a great talent, but you wonder, uh, you know, for me, the initial wonder was a, does this mean the Reds are exploring a trade for Matt Kemp and they're trying to see what other potential outfield options they might have currently in house? Um, and B, you know, David Bell had mentioned that he wanted to carry that extra pitcher. Uh, it does, uh, uh you know, does having uh, the versatility of Michael Lorenzen mean that that short bench that you would otherwise have by having that extra pitcher maybe isn't as short as it otherwise would be if he's got the ability to cover out there. But, uh, yeah, it seems like this is one of those things that it's, uh, uh a very, It's a very headline-grabbing kind of thing, but I think it's also at the very, very periphery of importance for what the Reds are really going to try to do so far this year.
1: Right. I almost – I mean – And if I remove myself from this and just kind of look at it from an outside perspective, I almost felt like the whole two-way talk of Michael Lorenzen last season was to distract (laughs) us from the fact that the Reds were losing 90 games for the fourth year in a row. (laughs) Yeah. And Uh, it sounded fun. And then whenever he started talking about it in spring training, David Bell and all this other stuff, I'm like, "Well, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just trade for two outfielders and we've already got like 20 million outfielders that can play? Like, why do we need another guy who can play outfield? So I mean I, it's it's fun, but I don't want the Reds to feel like that is a strategy they need to explore because they got plenty of guys and I'm with you I, I feel like not to say that he's getting slighted, but I do feel like they're discounting Phil Irvin's talent. I mean he was a first round pick. We're not talking about a guy that you know just walked in the building and all of a sudden they handed him a glove. but I think that all in all. It seems very gimmicky and almost very spring training almost like the four-man outfield that they did the other day against right. chris bryant like that's yeah. not something i want to see on a regular basis
2: like if if we would showed up in camp and nick senzel had completely fallen flat on his ability to play center field and jose siri had slammed into the wall and broken his thumb again right. and uh, like if all of those things happen and then suddenly they're like well We do have this other guy who might be able to play center field, sure, but like it seems, you know, knowing that you've got a ninth person who can play outfield on the current roster, it seems like a little bit of a, well, cool, (laughs) you you know, like congratulations but we're never going to see it and i hope we never do um but at the same point in time who knows he, he might be a generational talent that they've just been overlooking for six years and we're the idiots who think he shouldn't be playing out there i don't know I, <laughs> I hope i hope he does prove us wrong if he if it ever does happen to be a scenario where he goes out there um maybe he hits three home runs and never looks back and is a the center fielder of the future who knows
1: right and definitely for those of you thinking that we're throwing cold water on the fire here we want to be proven wrong in this case, but just fr- the way that it looks, it's something that I don't I- – I feel like there needs to be a lot that goes wrong for him to be put out there on an everyday basis.
2: Yeah, like I, I would love to know that Michael Lorenzen's a better outfielder than Yasiel Puig, than Nick Sincel, than Jesse Winker, than Scott Schebler. I just don't think that's going to be the case. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And a-, a couple more things we're starting to get uh, – close to the end here but uh i saw something on the athletic it was a piece written by cliff corcoran talking about the misery index and he rated all uh, all 30 teams you know from one to 30 as far as fan misery and what intrigued me and it's probably because i'm crazy and i will never think anything ill of the reds ever he rated the reds as number 10 so they made the
2: top 10 as most miserable fan bases do you agree with that uh, it's actually funny. I, I, I saw that it was a headline in my inbox this morning because I get the athletic, you know, update emails every morning on what's yeah. been posted. And I saw that that had been written and I thought about clicking on it and I didn't because I was like, man, I'm just going to have to read about how bad the Reds have been like the last <laughs> handful of true. years. So it, it's actually interesting for me to hear that they're number 10 because given how bad the last five years have been and, you know, obviously 2012 and 2010 were fantastic. But the 15 years before that, you know, so we're talking two, three years out of the last 20 years. Um, you know, I, I could envision them being a lot lower than 10th, honestly, but, uh, you know, I, I guess that we do kind of, uh, you know, if we, if we focus on the negative, which has been easy to do the last, you know, handful of last place finishes, uh, you do kind of ignore that. Baltimore won what forty-seven games last year. Oh, yeah, um, and and they, might you know, year. <laughs> they might win less this year. They might win less this year. You know, you look at what the Marlins have done over and over and over again. You look at the Rays' stadium issues, Oakland stadium issues, uh, uh, the Mariners' inability to win anything, and it, it, you know the Reds have had it not great of late. Um, but there are a lot of teams out there whose you know diehard fans probably are in very very similar situations to where the Reds have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of encouraging to be to think okay 10th isn't as bad as it could have
1: been that's true and and i'm probably looking at this through you know yassi up we colored glasses but I'm, <laughs> yeah. if they hadn't have done those moves i probably would have totally agreed and been like oh they should have been higher but i you know i just thought that was interesting to see top 10 and and hopefully with the way that they play this season they can you know make that even lower than that but uh that'd
2: be nice wouldn't
1: it oh i that would be amazing. And just one thing else to kind of wrap us up here. Something funny I saw today. You know, the main game that they've got going on, they're playing the Dodgers and you got Sonny Gray starting in the spring training game. But I saw that they have a B squad game with Cleveland, and that Robert Stevenson's going to start. But that's not what stood out to me. I'm mean, I'm glad that he's going to get some mound time. See what he's got left. For some reason, and I don't know why, maybe it's just to get his swing rolling and maybe Joey even agreed to this, Joey Votto's is going to be leading off every inning. If this were the case in the regular season, how many World Series championships would we re- win in a <laughs> row, let alone total?
2: Well, let's see. His career on base percentage is what? Pushing uh, you know, to 442% four, uh, roughly? Yep. So yeah. you're talking about almost every other inning having a, a runner on first base to start the inning. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good way to start scoring a lot of runs.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you,
2: that, that would be fen- phenomenal. But Wick,
1: I really appreciate you coming on the show again. We keep on talking Reds and we are so close. We're two weeks, well, less than two weeks in whenever this airs. Um, and I'm looking forward to this season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's the first time in a long time we get a chance to be thoroughly excited about what these Reds can do. In part because they look like they should be a lot better, and in part because there's a lot more unknowns. You know, we got so many new faces in camp that uh, it's you know I have no idea how it's all going to come together, but I'm as excited as heck to find out.
1: Exactly, like Ken Rosenthal said, we are the most interesting team in the Major League Baseball. So stay thirsty, my friends. Okay. <laughs> exactly hey wick thanks again and everybody head on over to the red reporter check out the great content that they got going on over there and wick we'll talk to you again soon
2: sounds good thanks for having me
1: that'll do it for another fun in friday version of the lockdown reds podcast i appreciate wick for giving me some of his time today just to talk reds a quick look On Thursday, the Reds had two games going on. One of them wasn't really broadcast or anything like that. It was a B-squad game behind the scenes. In the main game against the Dodgers, Sonny Gray got the start and pitched three perfect innings for the Reds. He's really building some momentum as we head into this season. And then in the B-Squad game, as I had mentioned in the interview, Joey Votto let off every single inning. He even hit a home run in that game. Nick Senzel had a couple of RBIs, and there were some good pitching performances there in the game as well. So spring training keeps rolling along, and we are less than two weeks away from opening day. This has been the Locked On Reds podcast. I appreciate you guys downloading and listening. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. It's the easiest way to get your podcast every single day. Then follow us on social media at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And check out our website at LockedOnReds.com, where our team of writers are creating new content each and every day, getting you ready for the 2019 Cincinnati Reds baseball season. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday here on the Locked On Reds podcast.
0: Hey,
2: Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music.